live from an undisclosed location. This is the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Uh, totally not in disclosed location. I am recording this from Fresno, California upon my return from the 2022 East Coast Road Trip, which is the title of this episode or this podcast episode. Uh, so I just returned from uh, what I thought was the largest East Coast trip I've had since 2017. Uh, this trip was 753 miles. I kind of get into the details of it in a second, but I'm actually kind of surprised to find out that wasn't true. Uh, actually, 2020 within the entirety of Florida was slightly longer. So to kind of get some context for how long Florida actually might be, uh, it could be very long. Uh, the Florida trip in 2020 did involve going from Brooksville down to Flamingo and Everglades National Park, which was roughly around... 370 miles. So I probably think the ballpark estimate was easily around a thousand miles in Florida that year. Anyways, this trip, 753 miles originating in Philadelphia, uh, went all the way through Maryland, Washington, DC, Virginia, back to Philadelphia, uh, by way of Delaware to the 2022 Philadelphia national road meet and New Jersey. Um, so for me, as somebody who's largely lived the West Coast, their adult life that really illustrates kind of how small geographically the East Coast really tends to be compared to the West Coast. You could drive two hours from Philadelphia and go through a major city in Baltimore and end up in Washington, D.C. in one go. Whereas out East, especially here in the Central Valley, you could drive two hours in pretty much any given direction that's up South and not really get anywhere that has a lot of people. Um, the southern direction would be, of course, Bakersfield if you followed um, California 99. Anyways, uh, for some context, I used to be a resident of the East Coast. Uh, some people who follow Global Nation might be familiar with that. Uh, I did live in Connecticut from 1990 to 1996. So I am pretty familiar with the East Coast, but truth be told, I have not really visited uh, kind of that area of the country and or explored it much really since 1997. I did have a trip back to the New Jersey area in 2014 uh, to a family reunion, but really north of that, I have not really wandered into the East Coast all that much. I, I personally kind of find that strange, given I kind of tend to be fairly outgoing, and I've been around every other area of the country, Sands, Alaska, by this point. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty much this trip, uh, the anchor to it, which kind of led to the whole idea of everything else that I did, was the 2022 Philadelphia National Road Meet, which Dan just published a podcast on, which goes into way more detail about what actually went on during the event. I would highly recommend listening to it. We had approximately 40 people attend. Uh, so my understanding is, as far as road meets go, that might actually be a high mark. Um, I'm not really too familiar with East Coast road meets on the whole, given my living location, but that did seem like a pretty large turnout. So, but I'll get into that in a second, kind of what we saw and did. Uh, my wife did attend this trip with me, uh, given that she hasn't seen a lot of these areas. But anyways, uh, given that I lived in the East Coast, I do have a substantial amount of family that lives in the area still in Virginia uh, and New Jersey. So kind of Philadelphia was kind of like a nice midway point to kind of see some people where they live I haven't seen in a long time. So over the course of six days, starting with day one, uh, landed in Philadelphia, got some 
Really cool views of the Commodore Barry Bridges as you're landing at Philadelphia International Airport. Stayed out in Chester. Uh, I have a Choice Rewards member, so I've been kind of padding Choice Rewards really for the last decade and a half, so I kind of took the opportunity to do so. Uh, I even think Chester is really where a, pe a lot of people would probably choose to stay in the Philadelphia area, but uh, they do have quite a few chain hotels that are kind of connected somewhat to the airport. Um, from what I recall, when the 1990s, when I was traveling mainly with my dad before I had my driver's license, I seemed to remember Chester having a lot of decent food options, and that seemed to still be the case, fortunately. Uh, so, originated basically in Chester. So, day two of the trip, um, started out from Chester, went through Delaware, uh, stuck to the Delaware Turnpike on I-95 to kind of get photos of everything. I haven't really been on that segment of the Delaware Turnpike since 2014, uh, it was kind of fun. Like, it kind of was interesting to see that the Delaware Turnpike Plaza was named after Joe Biden a couple of years actually before he was elected president and is now called the, the Biden Welcome Center. So a couple, I think about a week ago, I posted a photo of a brochure from a hotel in Virginia which advertised tired of U I-95 as uh, kind of his hook to attract travelers in. I found it kind of interesting given that the hotel in question was about 120 miles away from uh, the Biden Welcome Center in Delaware. Nonetheless, I actually thought it was pretty nice, all considered. I, I, I don't remember that plaza being all this spectacular, but um, pretty much two decades removed from my last visit into it. So, yeah, kind of saw the Delaware Turnpike, knocked it out. I, I kind of speak poorly of I-95 in general uh, in a lot of things I post online and really kind of the whole eastern seaboard area like around New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. tends to be the reason. And I think most people who live in the area can probably infer why. There's a lot of traffic, a lot of congestion. Uh, so really, I, I wanted to avoid I-95 as much as possible on this trip, but some segments were probably worth capturing, like, of course, the Delaware Turnpike. Anyways, getting into Washington, D.C., kind of opted for some differing routes to get in there. So through Baltimore, I took I-895 to the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel. Um, I didn't have any photos of it, so I figured I'd give it a look. Uh, I took the Baltimore-Washington Parkway from... Uh, I-8895 down to US-50. Now, the Baltimore-Washington Parkway, to me, is fascinating, just given that it is a full freeway, partially maintained by Maryland, and also partially maintained by the National Park Service. The National Park Service part to it, especially, is very odd. It does not conform in really any way whatsoever to what probably people would expect out of a modern freeway, much less an interstate. So I kind of find it always interesting to see that segment signed as Maryland 295, kind of trying to infer a connection to I-95. Uh, really, it's just an old facility. I believe it was finished in 1954. But it's really fascinating to see because, especially in the National Park segment, uh, you do have the brown... Um, gantries everywhere which is very different to see outside of like uh, a national park i tend to not really find a lot of limited access facilities in the national park service system but there are a couple that exist like grand loop road part of it by old faithful in yellowstone national park 
Uh, so it's kind of interesting to see the National Park Service and what their take on what a freeway should be. Uh, the one thing that always really struck me is substandard on the Baltimore-Washington Parkway is the interior shoulders are basically non-existent and have a raised curve. So it's really not a anywhere close to interstate standard. Anyways, in Washington, D.C., my wife had never been to the city there before, so we went on a tour of the Capitol building, uh, which was really neat for her to see. Uh, we saw the rotunda, all the standard stuff that I think a lot of people on the East Coast would find touristy, but to me, really haven't seen this stuff since the 1990s. I had been through D.C. in 2014. It was kind of neat to see a couple decades removed from it. Uh, I can kind of get off my high horse and be a tourist when I haven't seen stuff in two, three decades, I think. It, I, I enjoyed it. Um, so it's kind of interesting to go back and look at things I used to think were once mundane and now see them as somewhat unique. So Washington, D.C., I'm used to walking the National Mall through all the sites in the city. Uh, but my wife wanted to try the e-scooters, which are very frequent, and I will admit that they are a really good way. They're costly. They're not cheap of getting around the city pretty efficiently. Um, of course, anyone familiar with DC and the National Mall, it's it's very catered towards basically people kind of seeing monuments like the Washington Memorial, or sorry, the Washington Monument and the Lincoln Memorial. I would probably say the most disappointing part is the White House, given how far you are away now. Uh, you can't really get close to like how you once could, like back in the 1990s. I'm not even really sure how you would get on a tour of the White House nowadays. I know it's possible, but really, I, I haven't had interest in a long time. So leaving D.C., um, I took I-395 uh, into Virginia over the segment, which is kind of intended to become I-195. I believe that was approved last year. This goes through the Third Street Tunnel. Very unique freeway uh once intended to be the mainline route of i-95 um i haven't really done a lot of the research on how that was supposed to be feasible but that kind of seems to me to be interestingly planned given that kind of goes through the grounds of the capitol uh and goes directly under the national mall so it's just a really neat freeway uh so from there took i-66 um pay for some Rush hour tolls, got out of the D.C. area, west into Virginia to kind of prep for the next day. Day three uh, was more towards oriented towards things like hiking. Um, so day three, our destination was Shenandoah National Park. Um, so on the way, I took I-66 but got off on Virginia 79, Virginia State Primary 79. What's interesting about Virginia 79 is that it is only 0.23 miles long. It just connects I-66 to Virginia 55. Um, Virginia has a lot of really strange short primary state highways. They also have a ton of secondary highways. So the Virginia primary highways have the actual Virginia state route shield, whereas the secondary ones have the boring circle that you kind of see in states like Delaware and New Jersey. Um for what it's worth, I, I think there is a justification for Virginia 79 being a primary state highway, although the low number of 79 is kind of strange. Um, it's an interesting route in that it is really meant to kind of connect traffic from Virginia 55 to I-66. There's actually a large 
uh, carpooling facility at the Exxon on Virginia 55 at the southern terminus of Virginia 79. So I, I think it merits its existence as a primary state highway. Uh, I know others on Facebook, when I posted about it today, tend to disagree with that. But if it was like in the hundreds or two hundreds, I don't think anyone would really blink an eye at it. Um, seem to have the traffic volume that would be required to be viable in a state inventory, Department of Transportation's inventory. Uh, anyways, Shenandoah National Park. Uh, this is a park that I had visited previously, but not clinched Skyline Drive. Uh, so Skyline Drive, for some context and those who might not know, is a 105-mile uh, scenic route through Shenandoah National Park. It originates at US 340 and ends at the Blue Ridge Parkway. So uh, it's kind of like the extension of the Blue Ridge Parkway, uh, if I were kind of to draw an analogy. Really, it's kind of one of the same. Like Things you'll see on Skyline are very similar to what you would see on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, I had previously completed the... Southern portion, southern two thirds of Skyline Drive, and on this trip, I completed the 32 or clinched the 32 mile, nor, most northern miles that I had not previously. Uh, we did hike, uh, I think it's called White Oak Canyon, down to some waterfalls, about a 10 mile round trip hike, uh, according to my Fitbit watch. Um, I can't remember the name of the facility that's right there towards the top of Skyline Drive, but we did eat lunch at the older resort there. Skyline, uh, for some context, was largely built in the 1930s. Uh, this really started out with the um, Mary's Rock Tunnel being constructed in 1932, and Skyline was ultimately completed in 1939. And, uh, Shenandoah National Park wasn't even declared until 1935. So leaving Shenandoah National Park, uh, we went back towards the Haymarket area on US 211. And this I think is one of the more obscure and interesting U.S. routes, especially for scenery on the East Coast. It's completely within Virginia. It ends in Warrington. Um, it really is just for mile for mile pretty scenic. Uh, descending Thornton Gap, it has a really kind of unique configuration where there's two climbing lanes going westbound, but there's a single going east. Uh, so it's not uncommon to see trucks in that area uh, and it's kind of interesting to see them kind of intermix with like national park traffic but us uh us 211 on the whole is kind of a strange us route at one point it was it made it all the way to washington dc very early on in this history it was extended to washington dc but it was kind of gradually consumed and multiplexed with us 29 uh, i believe it was truncated from the DC line to Warrington in 1974. And the terminus in Warrington is kind of bizarre. Uh, there's a US 211 business route, which basically ends at US 211, where US 211 terminates. It's very strangely signed. I'm kind of trying to think when I get to the post on it on uh, the Gribble Nation Facebook page, how I kind of want to illustrate that because it's kind of a confusing setup because there's a couple business routes for US 15 and US 29 in that area that are kind of all over the place. Um, I don't know. It seems like they kind of went a little business route happy with all those US routes in Virginia, but nonetheless, a very neat highway and also a segment of the larger Lee Highway, which was a major auto trail. So it is still signed as the Lee Highway. Uh, day four, this would be the day of the Philadelphia Road Meet. 
started out Haymarket, Virginia, and basically had to take the most practical route to get back to Philadelphia, which of course would be I-95. Really no trouble getting through D.C. Um, or, well, not all 995, I-66, I-495 on the Beltway to I-95. But no problems getting around the Beltway to I-95. No real problems getting through I-95 Baltimore. Went through the Fort McHenry tunnels. I'm, I'm not exactly thrilled with the photos that I had. Kind of I was given, I was kind of facing the sun. Uh, so they're not quite the quality that I would like compared to the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel. Uh, but I'll kind of have to compare and see what I have versus 2014. Nonetheless, it will make it into the blog series. Uh, the Fort McHenry Tunnel is much more modern facility than the Baltimore Harbor Tunnel. So it's kind of neat to see the differences a couple decades can make between the two of them. Uh, Fort McHenry, of course, is a reference to the nearby fort, which was heavily involved in the War of 1812. So this is where the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem, comes from. Kind of a neat area. Uh, most of my family originally on my dad's side is from Baltimore. So I just kind of thought it, it was interesting that I really don't have a huge catalog of stuff for the city of Baltimore. Because unlike Detroit, where my mom's family is from, nobody's left in Baltimore. Everyone left a very long time ago. Uh, ran in some trouble getting through Maryland and Delaware, getting back to Philadelphia. It seemed like there was a lot of New Jersey beach crown bound traffic that was holding things up. There wasn't like really any specific incidents or anything on I-95 that were causing the slowdown. It was just the number of cars versus just kind of reaching its capacity. So once uh, I-95 dropped from eight lanes to six, really it's just kind of stop and go. Uh, so stopped at the Maryland house uh, plaza in I-95 it's kind of like a lesser version of the one on the Delaware Turnpike, the Biden Welcome Center, in my opinion. A little bit more probably used, a little bit more dingy and dirty, I, I kind of thought. That was kind of a surprise to me, honest, because I remember when I was a kid, I seem to recall it being the reverse. Uh, anyways, getting through Delaware, uh, bypass downtown Wilmington and I-495 to kind of get an extra route to feature on the, the blog series when I could. And made it to Miller's Ale House uh, for the road meet. And I would kind of defer to Dan's day one recap on kind of the events of the day. If I was going to kind of give my take on road meets uh, myself, I'm not exactly probably too experienced with large road meets given that I live on the West Coast. Um, a lot of people who are involved in road meets usually kind of live in the Midwest or East Coast. And the advantage that you have out there is that everyone tends to be very close. Um, whereas in the West Coast, us in the road community are usually several hours apart. Like um, Daniel, who I do the California Route by Route podcast with, who runs cahighways.org, he lives like a solid three and a half hours from me. Uh, Ray Mullins up in Sacramento, or Roseville specifically, is like two and a half. Uh, and those are the two people in the road community that I deal with or interact with the most out here. Uh, Josh Smith, who just moved to the area, he lives like four hours away in the Reno-Tahoe area. So it's very, very spread out. Um, so when we have a road meet out west, usually the road meet is, is hey, I'm passing through your area. Do you want to go to insert restaurant and have lunch or go check out something really quick? I think a lot of us have had uh, lunch with Ray Mullen specifically at the Roseville In-N-Out Burger off of I-80 as an example of this. So anyways, the road meet, um, 
I kind of felt like I really, <laughs> I thought I was prepared to kind of negotiate Philadelphia better than I was uh, off of memory, uh, but my memory did not initially hold very true from the 1990s, so I got turned around uh, several times. But kind of live and learn. I got familiar with the street grid as the as the day went on, uh, and especially day five and day six. Uh, cool event, though. Culminated in seeing the Phillies play the Mets. Uh, haven't been out to the Phillies' new ballpark. I forget what it's called off the top of my head, but it's actually got a really nice view of downtown Philadelphia. Very easy to get to. All the sports facilities are all grouped together. Very, very convenient. Uh, so saw lots of bridges and lots of interesting things to see, which we will be featuring on Gribble Nation, no doubt, soon. Uh, day five, I didn't go to the second day of the meet. I went out to New Jersey to see my cousins out uh, near the end of New Jersey Route 72. Uh, they've lived out there since the 1990s, so New Jersey Route 72 isn't new to me. But nonetheless, it's something I want to feature in Gribble Nation, given that I've been on that road so many times. And every time I'm on it, I'm thinking it's going to be different. But it really never turns out to be. you got the big roundabout at New Jersey Route 70, which starts it. You have the bridges to Long Beach Island. Um, I like it because it it's got some nostalgia for me, but I really don't know if anyone would really go out of their way to feature it otherwise. Uh, but yeah, I went out to Long Beach Island, saw the lighthouse at the north side of the island, and mostly just hung out through the course of the day. On the way back, I did head the Ben Franklin Bridge, kind of saw the kind of sort of not at grade gap in I-676 in Philadelphia. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there is two signed um, interstate segments in Pennsylvania, one being Breezewood and I-70 that I think everyone is familiar with. Uh, the other is I-676 in Philadelphia um, between the western end of the Ben Franklin Bridge to the Vine Street Expressway. Um, my understanding is that the Benjamin Franklin Bridge is not considered anything else other than U.S. Route 30 than the gap between um, the Ben Franklin Bridge and the Vine Street Expressway is also considered like kind of like a secondary administrative Pennsylvania route, but they, it's signed as I-676 to kind of avoid confusion. So nonetheless, though, when you're driving it, it's very odd to see like overhead gantries saying this is the continuation of I-676 and U.S. Route 30. And then you got a traffic light or two in both directions. Uh, I would probably say the eastbound direction where it kind of dips on the 6th Street at Ben Franklin Park is a little bit more interesting kind of how it's set up than the westbound. But the westbound view is much, much more scenic because you have like a perfect view of downtown Philadelphia. Um, kind of looking through some of the Ashto notes on the Vine Street Expressway and Ben Franklin Bridge, uh, and I haven't really a good count on this yet, but it seemed like there was some intention early on to make that whole corridor the main line of I-76, and that kind of got twisted and turned around early in the interstate system era. So it's really interesting to see the Ben Franklin Bridge barely predates the U.S. route system, um, but has always been part of U.S. Route 30. So it's just a very neat bridge to see. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best on the East Coast. It was always one of my favorites as a kid, so I definitely had to get on that bridge. And I hit it like right at perfect lighting, too, where I got some really good sundown photos that came out really, really well. Uh, and the neat aerial photos that I've seen that Dan took, um, that's going to be a blog I'm going to like when it comes out. 
But Philadelphia, uh, last day of the trip, we did the more touristy type things. Uh, saw Independence Square, uh, Independence National Historic Park, uh, Independence Hall, uh, pretty much all the major sites around there, kind of the printing press, Ben Franklin's printing press. My wife wanted to really see all those areas. And it was neat to see. Like, we don't have a lot of these older buildings out west um given we're in a seismically active area on the west coast you don't tend to see a lot of brick buildings anymore because they tend to crumble in earthquakes um so outside the sierra nevada mountain foothills and the gold rush towns you just don't see buildings like that so it's very very cool for me to see it brings back a lot of nostalgia especially me being from detroit originally uh that kind of architecture was very common to where i grew up but it's just completely alien to where i live now but we walked down market street to penn square uh walked around the vicinity of penn square so i got pictures of the terminus points of what was us 611 120 309 422 um 422, 309, and 120 are we're at what is now Love Park, which kind of overlooks the Philadelphia Museum of Art and Ben Franklin Parkway. So this is the so-called Rocky Steps. Um, my wife was kind of disappointed that the Rocky statue is not at the top. Um, and I don't think it ever was, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, we did have lunch at uh, the Reading Terminal, whatever they call it, Terminal Market. Um, her big objective on this trip was if in Philadelphia was to get an actual Philadelphia cheesesteak. Uh, I don't think she came away disappointed. Uh, and honestly, the even the hoagie we got was probably one of the better hoagies. I'm personally not a giant hoagie fan, uh, but this was a worthwhile hoagie to have. So yeah, um, like I said, I would probably consult Dan's podcast on the Philadelphia Road Meet if you want a more detailed account. He goes into substanti- substantial intimate detail on both days' events, the pre-meet, post-meets. I uh, really recommend it. This is more just kind of a short synopsis of what took place over the 753 miles of the 2022 East Coast trip. Uh, kind of run through a summary of what you will likely see in the short term on the uh, Release written by me on uh, the Gribble Nation blog series. I already put out a blog on the Commodore Berry Bridge, uh, which I do need to do an update for Dan's uh, drone photos of the bridge structure. Cantilever's truss span, the longest in the United States, carries US, US 322. It has a weird abandoned alignment of US 322 at the Chester Port Bridge Ferry, uh, which was toured during the Philadelphia Road Meet. So I would really recommend checking out that blog because uh, it does incorporate the road meet photos in addition to ones that I took. Uh, so yeah, East coast road trip. I uh, figured this was an opportunity to do a different podcast other than California route by route. Interestingly, I've noticed that uh, Dan, Doug and Adam have all come up with podcast names uh, for what they put out by now, but I have not. So if you have suggestions, uh, I'm, Willing to listen because I really can't think of anything that's kind of too catchy. I usually kind of give these podcast uh, generic names or kind of try to do like a catchy name. So feel free to leave us a message. Uh, Leave me a message on Facebook if you know me personally. Uh, Willing to hear suggestions. Kind of I want to at least see if I can retroactively make this like an anthology podcast. Kind of like how I like how Dan numbers his podcasts. 
specifically. But for now, this is Tom with the Gribble Nation Roadcast. Uh, I'll check you out next time or on California Route by Route.